The NBA season is heating up and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on The Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out The Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York, it was an absolute pleasure to be back in the boogie down to give the Houston Astros the punishment they deserve from New York Yankee fans. A lot more reaction on the Yankees and the Astros. The Mets fired their hitting coach on Monday and a whole lot of basketball to get to. We'll have the great Mike Vaccaro from the New York Post and maybe the craziest Yankee fan on the planet, the actor, the great Nikki Totoro. All that, listen to voicemails. New York, New York, coming up next. Let's roll, baby. That's right. It is episode 14 of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And in case you didn't notice, there is a little extra pep in my step. There is a little extra hitch in my giddy-up, and my voice may sound a little hoarse. And that's okay, because I just got back from Yankee Stadium, and my goodness, That was three and a half hours of just flat out awesomeness if you are a fan of the New York Yankees. And look, I think for most Yankee fans, even though beating the Astros Tuesday night, heckling the Astros for three and a half hours the way that the Bronx faithful decided to do so, is not going to erase 2017. It's not going to erase 2019, but it's kind of therapeutic in many ways. It's therapeutic because you think about your element as a Yankee fan or just a fan in general. Haven't been able to go to a ballpark. Haven't been able to yell and scream, hoot and holler, do what we do. The sense I got being in the building tonight. I'm glad that I was there. How to be in the building tonight for the first Yankee Astro game since this whole sign-stealing scandal, banging trash cans, the whole deal went down. 10,000 people? Holy moly, folks, it sounded like 45,000 people. And 
it was one of the most hostile, angry, fired up crowds I've been a part of. And I've been at a whole lot of big games over the years. Because the sense I got was you had about 9,000, 10,000 New Yorkers hating the Astros guts who want to let them hear it. Whether it was Jose Altuve, whether it was Alec Bregman, whether it was Carlos Correa, I was sitting out in left field and I could tell you they were letting Michael Brantley hear it. I, for one, was letting Michael Brantley hear it. It was just a ton of fun to be a part of. It's why we love sports. It's why we do what we do. It's this idea of letting it all hang out. I think Yankee fans let it all hang out tonight. And I'm curious because I have not heard any highlights. I'm just walking back into my apartment right now. Let me hear the sound from Yankee Stadium tonight, fellas. Let's hear how rocking it was. Let's see if it passes the JJ test. This is beautiful. 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 And you know what? I don't want to hear from the Houston Astros. You get what you deserve. And I will not feel vengeance from a Yankees standpoint until they go and beat the Astros in a playoff series or they go and win a World Series. But it felt different at Yankee Stadium tonight. This was not your run-of-the-mill rivalry between two teams. This is not the Yankees and the Rays. This was serious, bad blood. And for the first time all year, getting to the baseball field, it felt like the Yankees fed off that Yankee Stadium crowd. Even after Alex Bregman hits a home run in the top half of the first inning, and I'll tell you this, I'm on the Yankees. He's pimping that home run. I'm thinking long and hard about putting one in his back over the next two days just because you know, it's the team that is on you. They not only have owned you, it's been a team that takes pleasure in beating you, and they have this whole cheating scandal hanging over their heads. You're not pimping home runs against me. No way, no how. But to see the Yankees come back in the bottom half of the first inning against Zach Granke, great at bat from LeMayu, and how about John Carlos Stanton? John Carlos Stanton takes a lot of heat from Yankee fans, and it's taken a lot of heat from me. Because he can't play a position. He's too similar to Aaron Judge. The Yankees are tied into his contract over the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, whatever it may be. But I got to give credit where credit is due. He is dialed in. He is hitting missiles all over the place. Hit a bomb in the first inning. He's hitting doubles off the gap, off the wall, basically four iron shots. This is the player I thought the Yankees were getting from the Miami Marlins. We saw it last year in the postseason, and I think we've seen it here over the last week and a half. It's fun to watch. Very fun to watch. The biggest at bat of the game, though, in many ways, ends up being the infield single from DJ LeMayu that led to three runs when Alex Bregman threw it away. Sometimes you got to have a little lady luck on your side. The Yankees on Tuesday night had a little lady luck on their side. The Gurriel ball, which I thought for sure was a home run, kind of gave you shades of what we saw Sunday night with the Mets and the Phillies. Stays in play, ends up being a double. Instead of the Astros taking a lead, they only tie the game. 
Different ball game if it plays out, you know, a certain way. Bregman throwing the ball away. Instead of one run scoring, you have three runs scoring, and that was an ugly collision at home plate. Weird, awkward slide with Ruggie Odor, and Maldonado ended up getting hurt. Both guys ended up leaving the game. But then the Yankee bullpen does their thing, and the Yankee bullpen this year has been terrific. And remember, that's without Zach Britton, and now it's without Darren O'Day, who's going to miss some time with the shoulder injury. Wiseman is throwing smoke. Graney looks the part. Lutke gave him a good inning. Yankee bullpen, you don't want them to be overworked and overtaxed, but it's been impressive. Very, very impressive. And the Yankees are playing their best baseball of the year. Took them up. And I had a feeling this Astros series would bring out the very best in him. I mean, how could it not? They start off this series with an absolute bang. No pun intended. And if you were at Yankee Stadium, Give yourself a round of applause. I can't say it was louder than Who's Your Daddy in 2004 with Pedro Martinez on the mound. Or 96 with Girardi. Or 95 with Don Mattingly. It's a different animal. You got 9,000 people in the building. But to have 9,000 people sound the way it did, it's a testament to everyone who made their way out to the ballpark. They were ready to rock. Those fans were out for blood. The shame chants are great. The cheater chants are great. And yeah, fuck Altuve chants were great too. They were great too. Isn't it nice that I'm able to say that, by the way? I don't have to worry about a fine or anything like that. No, we're all good. We're all Gucci right about now. Good win for the Yankees. Feel good win for the Yankees. You hope that they can make even more of a statement the next two days, but... They sweep the Tigers. They win the first game in this series, and they're over 500 for the first time. I want to say since the first week of the year. I was going to say all year, but I caught myself because they won the first two games against the Orioles. A little bit of a slip, but it's not a slip when you catch yourself. Now, I'm sure we'll have a ton of reaction to this. The Yankee fan is fired up. Nikki Totoro is going to join us. I mean, it's a big Yankee night. We got to have Nikki on the show. The Mets situation yesterday kind of. Threw me for a loop. So I'll give you a little backstory. I'm scheduled late night to do SNY, my television network that I work on over in New York City. For those of you who are unaware of SNY, I do television over there. So they asked me at like 9, 9.30, JJ, can you do Geico Head after the Met game? Geico Sports Night, their, their sports center show, in case you're wondering. And I said, sure, I'm not doing the podcast tonight. I love being on TV. Love growing the New York, New York brand. Of course, I'm happy to be on TV. I'm already talking door, Mets, the whole deal. I'm all dressed up. I got a little makeup on. I'm looking as sharp as can be. Going to be 33 in a week. I look like 25 on my best day. I'm all ready to do TV. I know Tuesday is going to be a wild and chaotic day. And we get the notification two minutes before we get on the air. The Mets have fired their hitting coach. Hitting coaches, I should say. But specifically, Chili Davis. And I did a double take. I said, hold on a second. The Mets, who everyone within the organization two years ago, what was the common denominator? We love Chili Davis. Heard it from Alonzo. Heard it from McNeil. Heard it from every Met hitter known to Met. Love his approach. Love what he's teaching us. Blah, blah, blah. 
misses last year because Chili Davis had health concerns because of COVID. Now you're telling me 20-plus games into the year, 20-plus games, Chili Davis is not good enough to be the hitting coach? What's going on here? It's one of three things, potentially. The acting GM, Mr. Scott, was in Boston when they fired Chili Davis. Chili Davis is an old school hitting type of guy. Maybe not as much a believer in the geek stuff and launch angle and all this sabermetric nonsense that we hear about all the time. And it was a conflict of interest. Maybe that is something that comes into play. Or Steve Cohen is trying to do his best George Steinbrenner impression. Team's not scoring runs, even though they scored a bunch in Philadelphia over the weekend. Scored five runs Monday against the Cardinals. But Cohen wants to make a statement. Let's fire the hitting coach. Easy to do. Or are we looking at the struggles of Francisco Lindor a month into this year as the telltale sign to why a change was made? I don't know. I'm trying to, you know, take a educated guess, as they say. I think the GM is my leader in the clubhouse. I think the other two storylines are far more sexy and are far more appealing and are far more fun to talk about. Bottom line is this. Do I think hitting coaches mean a whole lot? I don't. I think they're very overrated. They're a dime a dozen. But you don't like the philosophy of Chili Davis? Why you bring him in to start the year? I think that's lame, personally. But if the Mets go and score a ton of runs over the next month, nobody's going to care. Weird timing, to say the least. And at least with this ownership group, it happens at midnight and not three in the morning, four in the morning, like Willie Randolph, going all the way back to 2008. Never forget that one. I think it was up. Might have been closing down the old beer goggles on Staten Island. For those of you who know, good old beer goggles over on Van Dusen Street. What a place. What a time. I think I got out of the bar late night on a Tuesday. I was like, holy shit, Willie got fired. Who saw that coming? So, a weird Monday into Tuesday for the Mets. Little bit of a scare with the ground, but it seems like everything's going to be okay. Just missing a start. I'm going to err on the side of caution with that one. I'm not going to overreact. We got enough overreacting going on. I'm trying to talk you Mets fans off the ledge, at least when it comes to the best pitcher in baseball. Before we get to what is going to be a jam-packed show, voicemails, let's get it going with a bang. Hey, JJ, this is Casey from Queens. Love the show, by the way. Listen, this idea that the Mets fired Chili Davis because they've been struggling at the plate is an absolute joke. Last year, all we heard was, oh, well, we wish we had Chili. We wish we had Chili. Now, all of a sudden, 22, 23 games in the year, they're still struggling. Now it's Chili's fault. Their $341 million player can't buy a hit. And it's Chili Davis's fault. This is an absolute joke. Take some responsibility. Say that you're struggling and it's your own fault. This is 100% deflection and it's embarrassment. Thanks, JJ. Casey, I'm not going to fight you on that. It's always about the players. Anybody's going to make a big deal of a hitting coach being a be-all, end-all of a lineup, scoring a ton of runs or not scoring a ton of runs is incredibly overrated. I just think it's a matter of decency more than anything. And I'm not firing my hitting coach 25 games into a year, especially after I had a good weekend. If you're going to fire Chili Davis, why don't you do it after Friday night's game? This is very strange. Very, very strange. We'll see how my voice holds up 
I think I'm going to be okay. Listen, I'm used to doing five hours of radio after Yankee playoff games. So this is nothing. This is nothing. We're going to have Yankee fan extraordinaire Nikki Tutoro is going to join us. We have one of the best and most talented columnists in America. The great Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post is going to join us. Tons of listener voicemails. And I hope you guys rode that Yankee series price. One down, one to go. All that more. It's New York, New York right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. We get it all rolling right after this. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's welcome in a guy who knows the history of this town very well. He's one of my all-time favorite columnists, a treat to read on Sunday and whatever his column comes out in the New York Post. My main man, Mike Vaccaro. What's up, Vac? JJ, it's good to see you, my man. How's everything going? Looks like, I, I like that, the, uh, that you got that Mick uh, put. Uh, Portrait above your your shoulder, keeping. Yeah, keep I know it's a beautiful swing on like mine. So I have to be reminded <laughs> that somebody actually can hit a baseball. You know, I cannot. So at least you know the Mick can do it. There you go. Um, am I now drinking a little too much Kool Aid, or am I finally of the belief once and for all that New York sports are actually trending in the right direction? No, I don't. Th- I don't think you're drinking Kool Aid, JJ. I think they really are. Look, I'm not sure that uh, besides the Nets, there's a uh, necessarily a championship team in our midst. And I think the Nets still have a lot to prove in that regard also. But uh, look, I think uh, I think every team is trending up generally, even the ones that aren't, you know, even the Rangers, I think, have some, have some, have a future ahead of them now. And uh, even though they're not going to be in the playoffs this year. And I think that's really all you're looking for at this point, given the fact the last, uh, you know, 10 or so years have just been a complete abject disaster. They have been rotten. They have not been fun to cover. They have not been fun to talk about. Unless you like rooting for a train wreck. You like rooting for a train wreck, <laughs> then they've been plenty fun to talk about. I was thinking about this today, Vac, because I love these innocent climb type of years. The Yankees Absolutely. had one in 2017. I guess the Mets did to some degree in 15 when they went to the World Series. Um, from you know a Knicks standpoint and where they're at right now, is there a particular season... For any of the teams over the last 15, 20 years that you can kind of equate this to? I think the 17 Yankees is a great one, JJ, because, like, I mean, it's hard to ever look at the Yankees as an underdog or a bunch of scrappy upstarts, but that team really was. I mean, there wasn't a lot that was expected of that team. They got better as the season progressed. Obviously, Judge became a phenomenon that year. Um, and, you know, of course, retrospect, I mean, who knows? how things might've been in the ALCS if they'd been playing on the up and up against the Astros. But it's, uh, to, to me, it reminds me of that. Now, look, I mean, the Knicks were obviously in a lot more desperate place than the Yankees were before that. So maybe it's tough to equate the two, but I just don't think anybody thought the Yankees were going to go to game seven of the ALCS that year. And so every small victory kind of piled on top of each other and really became something special. The 15 Mets, I mean, I think there was a before and after period. I mean, there was a, there was the pre-Cespedes trade and there was the after-Cespedes trade, you know, where nothing went right and then everything went right. And I almost think that was almost kind of a, kind of an outlier. Um, but, yeah, you know, this next year, 
Uh, it, it reminds me in so many ways of that 17 Yankees team, even though like, the, 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 the Knicks came from a, a horrid place, just, you know, 20 years of, of, of nonsense basketball to doing what they're doing now, which is every time they play those, their expectations become higher and they seem to embrace those higher expectations. I tweeted yesterday that I mean I, I've given up trying to determine what this team's ceiling is. I don't think they're going to win the world. I don't think they're going to win the world the world championship. But I'm I'm done trying to figure out like what you know their their limitations are because they keep trying to, they they keep revising the script. These sort of years are so much fun too because they get bounced in the first round. You're going to feel good about the future. They get to the second round. You're like holy smokes, the Knicks won a playoff series. That's one thing. Taking the next step though, Mike, is another. Is there one particular move that you'd like to see long-term? I don't know if it's a particular position. I don't know if it's a guy you're thinking about down the road. How did the Knicks get from the cute, feel-good story of New York City to being a legitimate, bona fide championship contender? They need an elite point guard. Um, and look, I mean, all due respect to Alfred Payton, who tries. He's not anywhere close to that neighborhood. Derrick Rose has had a phenomenal 29 games with the Knicks. Um, and if you can somehow figure out a way to retain him and also bring somebody else that you can share the position with, um, to me, that's what uh, this team is really crying out for. Um, assume, assuming you think Randall is going to be able to replicate what he's done this year, assuming you believe that RJ Barrett is going to maintain his ascent. And I do, I, I, I believe that, uh, that uh, Randall's, uh, position is is only going to be enhanced because I, I believe in his work ethic. I believe in how serious he takes his craft. I think everything he says about the game and, and his own game and the team game, uh, he's sincere about. R.J. Barrett is still 20 years old, which I think is something you have to remind yourself because every now and again, R.J. will throw in a clunker and you're like, well, you know, but then you realize he's 20 years old and he's so much better now than he was as a rookie. And he's so much better now than he was two months ago and he's so much better now than he really was you know three weeks ago and that's the kind of trend that you really like to see so i think those are two real building blocks i think the third element has to be a point guard that really kind of pulls everything together and a point guard i actually think Derek rose will be able to be able, will be able to play if he's around next year in a supporting role to that point guard because i think he embraces winning also and he certainly buys into what tom thibodeau is selling so to me, it's identifying that point guard and then having the commitment to, look, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a, a, a bunch of your assets. And that's really what Knicks fans have had in their possession the last couple of years, or these assets. But to me, assets are only as good as the players they become. And look, the, you know, the, the upside or the downside, depending on how you look at it, if the Knicks getting good, is those draft picks aren't quite as uh, attractive as they were when they were winning 20 games a year. Suddenly, those are middling draft picks. It's hard to hit on those kind of draft picks one after the other. And there's so many of them, you're not going to get the value just individually. You have to figure out a way to package those assets into a player. And it's identifying who that player is, whether it's Dave Willard, uh, you know, whether it's somebody else. I mean, I know people have talked about Chris Paul. As good as he is and as great a season he's had, he seems a little long in the tooth to me. But I think that's the kind of player that the Knicks need. That's the kind of player that will be a difference maker on the team that they already have. I was trying to brainstorm thinking about this. Derrick Rose is in his second stint now as a Nick. Rarely do you see a guy come back after a so-so first stint 
and have so much more success back the second time around. Like Javi Vasquez, stunk both times <laughs> he was with the Yankees. Sterling Hitchcock, not so good the second time around. Good thing they included him in the Tito Martinez trade and not Andy Pettit. Or who knows, maybe Yankee history looks a little different. Is there one you can think of in all your years of being around New York sports? First time wearing the NY on a hat or on a jersey? Eh, second time, heck of a lot better. JJ, I appreciate you giving me a chance to preview my column that's going to be in. Uh, wow, in, in, great, great lines. You can't, the, I, I can't even say I saw paper, it. It actually Didn't just posted. It. Very nice. And to, me, to, to me, it's unprecedented. I mean, look, I mean, Rose had a terrible first time around with the Knicks and he was booed, but it wasn't even like there was a lot of authority behind the booing. He was just kind of a forgotten element by the end of the year. Had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. Uh, Phil Jackson, you know, asked him to run the triangle, which was a complete you know, calamity. Um, and what he's done this year is so unprecedented in terms of his second act in New York has been so much better. Look, we've had nice stories in New York. I mean, Lee Mazzilli coming to the 86 Mets after languishing for the terrible teams of the 70s. That was a really nice story. You know, um, oftentimes players either come here for like a victory lap, which is what Mark Messier did. You know, in a lot of ways, what, uh, you know, David Cohen did a second time around with the Mets, Andy Pettit his third time around with the Yankees. Or you wind up seeing a, a guy's legacy take a hit, which I think is definitely something that happened to uh, Darrell Rivas. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy to, you know, there's a reason why Fitzgerald said there's no second act in American life. And we've seen that time and again. And yet what Rose has done here has, has, has made you almost erase what happened the first time around which I didn't think was possible. And look, I mean, part of it was that, you know, the Knicks were in such a bad place then, and he just really didn't add anything to the, uh, to the, to, to the mix there. But now what he's done is he's bought in completely to Thibodeau. And I think when a player with that kind of gravitas, and look, you're talking about guys like Julius Randle and, and, and R.J. Barrett, everybody in that team knows who Derrick Rose was when he was 22, which was the best point guard on the planet, one of the two or three best players in the world. And for him to show that he believes in this coach, I think these guys believed in Thibodeau anyway. But when they see how much Rose buys in, I think that only helps, uh, you know, with, with the, the the whole of the team. And and you and you really see that night to night. And I think you really see now just how much of a positive influence Derek Rose is. Okay, we're doing New York coaches, managers, power rankings. It's got to be Trotz and Tibbs, one and two, right? That's got to be clear cut. Am I, am, I, am I delusional here? Am I, like, missing anything? It's got to be those two top guys. No, you're not. And all that does to me, JJ, is reinforce the, just how important coaching is. And I think sometimes too many of these teams try and reinvent the wheel, try and find the next hot guy. And you look, I mean, somebody had to hire Bill Parcells the first time. Somebody had to hire Pat Riley the first time. I get that. And maybe you can hit on that. The Giants obviously hit on that when they hired Parcells. Um, but there is something to be said for a track record. You know, coaches don't win in lot in, in lotteries. I mean, they don't win by accident. They win because they're good at it. They know what they're doing. We saw Barry Trotz, what he did before he came to the Island. And we've seen how he's brought that to the Islanders, just an increased level of professionalism and expectation. And just a wonderful teaming with Lou Lamorella, who also has all of the, uh, the gravitas that success brings. 
And, and, and with Thibodeau, I mean, look, I mean, but for a terrible injury to Derrick Rose, you know, nine years ago, he'd probably have at least one championship ring to show for his efforts. Maybe he wouldn't even have been available. He might still be in, you know, in Chicago with a lifetime contract, but it shows you that track records don't lie. There's a reason why guys are, are, are successful. And the re- there's a reason why when you look back at the best years of the, of the Knicks, it was Pat Riley who came with rings. You know, when you look back at the Yankees, look, I mean, Joe Torre didn't have a lot of success beforehand, but he did have some success. I mean, you kind of had an idea of what he was going to be with this team. Um, it, it, it isn't accidental. When the Jets hired Bill Parcells, they hired a different Bill Parcells than the Giants did, but it was an established Parcells. And look what he did. I mean, he, he did miracles with the Jets those uh, first two years that he was here. I mean, it's not an accident. When you hire a, when you hire a good established coach with a track record and gravitas, you're going to reap the benefits. And I think the Knicks are, are really enjoying that right now. And so are the Islanders. I'm giving you the opportunity to buy stock in one of the two football teams right now in town. I'm letting you be Mikey Day Trader. What team are you buying stock in, Jets or the Giants? I'm going to buy stock in the Giants because I, I've, I've seen the work of the head coach already. And look, I don't know that he's necessarily a young Parcells or a young Don Shula or a young Belichick. But I was impressed by what he did last year in a very difficult season that could have been even worse. And look, I mean, they were right in the mix in week 17. And we don't have to get into what happened in week 17. But, you know, and I think sometimes I was accused of being a little bit too much on, on, on judges payroll last year because I thought even early on when they had a terrible record, I thought that he was doing impressive work. Um, Look, I mean, the, 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 the Jets and Sailor are going to have an opportunity to, to establish that this year. I just think the Giants are a little bit more ahead of the game in terms of their on-field organization. And I just think they're a little bit farther ahead in terms of what their roster development is. So, look, I mean, what you're doing now is taking a leap of faith that the quarterback is going to be as good as you think he's going to be or you hope he's going to be, that he's going to be the equal of the weapons he now has at his disposal. And if that happens, then you, know, you really do have some special things. Plus, I mean, I think you also have to factor in that the NFC East is terrible. And the AFC, and the AFC East, East is tough. Let's be honest. Buffalo, very Miami, good. I mean, New England, yeah. I mean, the Jets could be 50% better this year and still easily finish in fourth place because the teams above them are that much better than they are. Even the Patriots who had a tough year last year. I mean, your guys in Miami are going to be tough. And obviously the Bills, I think, are going to be the, the class of the division for a couple of years. So that's going to be a harder mountain to scale than what the Giants have to do in the NFC East. We saw what a calamity that division was last year. It's not going to be that much better this year. I think the Cowboys will be a little better because the quarterback is back. He's healthy. But uh, I think all those elements together, if I'm going to buy stock in one of the two New York teams, it's going to be the Giants. So, Mike, I get a late call yesterday to do TV. I'm like, great. I'm not doing a podcast tonight right after the (laughs) Met game. Little did I know that the Mets would go fire their hitting coach like five minutes before I get on the air. And, you know, I'll Everybody loved Chili Davis two years ago. Chili Davis had a terrific big league career. And I don't want to be one of these guys, Mike, saying it's the be-all, end-all with hitting coaches. Because to me, I think it's very overrated. I think it's about the hitters. It's about the work that they do. And listen, sometimes you're just looking for a fall guy. Did Chili Davis and the other hitting coach get the ax because of launch angle, the owner, or Francisco Lindor? Where do you stand right now on that? Yes, <laughs> all of the above all, that's all okay of, all, all the above all, works all of the above is i think i think it is look i mean i think that i think steve cohen bought the mets with the idea that he was going to clean house but he bought them just a little too late to be able to clean house thoroughly and with the kind of uh you know uh with the kind of sweeping change that was necessary 
And so he kind of had to, and he said that in his opening press conference, he, t- he said he talked about not wanting, you know, in, in, in his real business, he didn't like guys to learn on the job. Now that's not Shirley Davis. He has experience and obviously he's got uh, a baseball career to back up uh, his, his expertise, but I'm talking about Louis Rojas. I was very surprised they retained Louis Rojas. I don't think that in a perfect world or in Steve Cohen's perfect world, he necessarily would have, because I think Louis Rojas is learning on the job. Um, and these are all guys when he, you know, when he, when he committed to Sandy Alderson, these aren't guys that Alderson hired. Uh, I think they were always going to be on a short rope because of that. Um, and, and look, yes, I mean, the fact that your $341 million player is playing like a double A player and a bad double A player right now or hitting like one anyway, not a good sign. The fact that the team together was losing a whole bunch, even the last couple of days when they scored runs, look on Sunday night, the Phillies gave them six runs. Yesterday, after they scored a couple of a bunch early, you know, really the last six innings, what we've seen a lot this year, which is a lot of non-competitive, non-professional at-bats. We've seen that too much from a team that should be better. Um, and look, I mean, if you're going to go through the hierarchy of a baseball coaching staff, the hitting coach is the easiest guy to fire because I don't think people really, you know, I, I understand the value of the analytics and the coaching and the discipline and all that. But when you're talking about the things that go into a baseball team, I think the hitting coach is always going to be the easiest scapegoat because it's just, it just is. Okay. One being the lowest in the panic scale, 10 being the highest in the panic scale. Where are you right now with Lindor? I think he's going to hate he's too good a player, Mike. Um, But is it going to be a month from now? Is it going to be the middle of June? I think that's what you got to kind of try and figure out. Where are you right now? As bad as he has looked, from a panic standpoint, with the Mets' $300-plus million man, where do you stand? Here's what I'll say about Lindor, because I want to be fair. I'm very impressed by the fact that his struggles at the plate, and they've been massive, have not carried over into the field. That's a good point. He's still an excellent shortstop. He's still one of the best shortstops in the game. Every day, he makes a winning play defensively. I'm impressed by that, because a guy who's struggling as badly as he is offensively, I can see where that could be contagious. That said, look, I mean, if you look at his numbers, they've been trending down the last two years. I mean, uh, I, I don't put a lot of stock in what happened last year. It was a 60-game season. Crazy stuff happened in a 60-game season. But he was sort of starting to trend down in 2019 also. So that does concern you. But look, I also saw, you know, in, in a microcosm, spring training, he had a very similar beginning where he was really scuffling the first week or 10 days of spring training. And all of a sudden, you couldn't get him out for two weeks. And I get it, it's spring training, it's not the real thing. But that tells me that he's still got Francisco Lindor type ability that we've come to understand and, and, and recognize. And it's there. I, look, I, I think that it's not just New York either. I, mean, I, I get it, New York is a hard place to play and we have high expectations. But I do think it's when you, it, it's when you start a completely new environment with that kind of money behind you. I mean, as confident a player as he is, I mean, all of a sudden, the first thing people think about when you think about Francisco Lindor now isn't his smile or the back of his baseball card. It's the fact that he's making $341 million in the next 11 years. And I think that's hard to adjust to. I think I do think that once he gets uh, more comfortable, he'll be a player that we've seen in Cleveland for most of his career. But your question is, 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 is essential, which is, you know, is that not going to be until June? Because by then, look, the Mets have been very lucky because the, you know, the, the Braves can't get out of their own way. The NL East right now looks like the NFC East. So they have time to be able to recuperate. But they really do need Lindor, especially if they're going to keep hitting him in the top of the order, which apparently they're going to do. 
he's got to start producing, and that's got to happen sometime in the next couple of weeks, or else you start to really get concerned. When's the last time in town we had the number one, the number two pitcher? It's got to be. Is it is it Gooden Gidry? I mean, even then, it might have been a little debatable with Gator, depending on what year you're looking at. It's awesome, Vac, knowing that you got DeGrom and Cole, and I think it's pretty clear cut. They're the number one, number two pitcher in all baseball. And I think it's what's great about it is they are they are one and one a for sure. And I think that on any given day, you can make an argument for either guy. I mean, look, I mean, no, after the national start, it seemed like and I, I certainly fell into the purple prose uh, puddle myself. But uh, it was it was hard to believe that a pitcher could ever be better than Dave Jacob DeGrom was. But then a couple of days later, you see, you know, what Cole is, is able to do. I, I really hope that at some point this summer during one of the two series when they play each other, that those two guys face off against each other. Now, guys who like, you know, nine, eight baseball games are going to be unhappy. But those who like. Well pitched two and What's a half. What's the over/under on strikeouts in that game? Twenty-nine and a half with those two guys back. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the catcher will drop a couple of strike threes, so we can actually get like you know fifty-four, fifty-five. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 what's great is that they're not just. I mean, they both obviously throw gas, and it's. I mean, it's it, that, that helps. But they're also just so smart. They feel their positions well. They're just high high baseball IQ guys. And when you have a pitcher who's a high baseball IQ guy, it's really fun to watch. Favorite New York athlete currently that you like writing about? That I like writing about? Julius Randle. Um, uh, I love writing about DeGrom. I love writing about – I mean, I really like writing about DJ uh, LeMahieu. I, I love writing about Aaron Judge. still do. Um, but to me, I mean, you know, Randle, what he's done, uh, first off, accepting the mantle of leadership in a place that has been crying out for it. Uh, performing the way he has and, you know, wondering where this is going to lead. I mean, to me, it's, and look, I mean, I think you and I are in agreement here. When the Knicks are going well, there's They're nothing They're the number one team in, in town, Mike. Number one you team know, in town. You and I have talked about this before. Uh, you know, back in the day, I mean, the, the Yankees had already started to win again. And yet baseball, as much as it means in New York, baseball season in New York didn't start until the day after the Knicks were eliminated, whenever that day was whether it was April, May, or June. That was a long time ago, but that's what it, that's what it was. That's what it is. That's how much the Knicks mean. Partly, I think, because, like, I mean, all due respect to the Nets, but the Nets are still the number two team in their own borough. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Nets and the Knicks don't have the kind of relationship the Mets and the Yankees have, or the Jets and the Giants. The, the Giants and the Yankees are clearly the, the number one teams, but not by a substantial margin or as substantial a margin as the Knicks are. Um, even now, even after all the difficulties that the Knicks have had, they are still the number one team. The Nets might be the more popular team nationally, and in fact, I think they are. But I think in this city, I think the Knicks are still number one. And you know, maybe if they had another, you know, ten and seventy, ten and sixty-two year this year, that might have loosened the grip a little bit. But I think the fact that they chose this year to actually become competitive again has really helped to establish them or reestablish them as the as the dominant team in the city. So because of all that, I think in the fact that Julius has, you know, every, every game, he gives you something different. I mean, it's a triple double waiting to happen. We haven't had a player like that probably since Clyde, you know, a guy who can give you a triple double anytime he, he laces them up. And that's kind of fun. Final one. And you reserve the right to change your mind at any point in time, but <laughs> I kind of want to know it's a week before my birthday. This is my, my 33rd birthday gift from you. I'm, okay. I'm already drawing it up right now. Got it. What New York city team, wins the championship first here on what is it may the fourth may the fourth what new york team it's been a long drought now mike that giant parade it's almost 10 years ago for goodness sakes who wins first 
I think it's gonna be one of the baseball teams. I do. I I, I get it. The Nets. Are you excluding Brooklyn because it's Brooklyn, or no. you don't think they're winning a title this year? I, I've got a weird feeling. That, I mean, look. I mean, injuries don't just go away. And to me, I mean, the idea that the that the Nets, after having one injury after another throughout the regular season, are now going to escape injury for a two month grind of a postseason, when every game matters and when you have to kind of rely on those guys to be healthy every day, I just don't see it happening. I don't now. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I love watching the Nets when they're at full strength. They are a fun team to watch. They're a fun team to write about. They're a fun team to cover. If they go to the finals, they win the finals. I'll be the happiest guy in the world because I get to write about a championship team. I just have a hard time seeing them surviving just because all three of those guys are fragile in their own ways. And I think that, and, and, and even the supporting you know players, I have a hard time seeing them staying whole for two months. Now, that's the same goal that every other team has to, has to carry. So who knows if the Bucks, the Sixers, you know, the Lakers can, can, can stay healthy also for, for those two months. That's the reason why I'm excluding the Nets. Um, but I do think that both baseball teams at, 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 uh, at their maximum, look, I think the Yankees, I'm going to say the Yankees has answered your question because I do think despite their early struggles, they are the best team in the American league. I think they're, you know, the, 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 the AL East is better than we thought it was, but I think the Yankees are still going to be the better best team among that group over 162. I don't see another team. Like, I mean, you see what happens when they wander outside the AL East. I mean, they hammer the, the Tigers. I mean, they should have really probably swept the, the Indians. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, once you're there, once you, you survive the American League, you assume they're going to face the Dodgers in the, in, in the World Series. And, you know, four to seven, I think the Yankees are, are, are there. I think the Mets are still capable of winning 95 games despite their slow start. And then once you get in the playoffs, I mean, you know, if you have DeGrom and Syndergaard and Carrasco back and all of a sudden in a short series, the Mets are a bear to to uh, to play. I think the Mets are probably a half step behind the Yankees in terms of the overall. And they're also going to have a harder league to get out. of. It's going to be a lot harder to get out of the National League for the Mets than it would be for the Yankees to get out of there. So I'm going to say the Yankees. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope, you know, and I hope maybe we'll get the Yankees three months after the Nets are, you know, or Borough Hall in Brooklyn celebrating their championship because that would be fun to watch. I would love, look, hard hearts, I would love to say that uh, this wonderful ride for the Knicks can somehow take, uh, you know, a really miracle turn. But I think, you know, I said before, I don't want to put a ceiling on them, but I do think a ceiling probably uh, falls on them sometime before the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, I do think that the Yankees are probably the team that I look at and say, I think that team's going to win before the others, unless the Nets can stay healthy. Thanks so much for doing this. And I'm already drawing up the terms of the St. Bonnie's Syracuse wager agreement. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be steak, a bottle of wine, maybe around the golf. But Mike, we got a couple of months. I have a feeling that Jimmy is going to schedule you boys because I want revenge for a couple of years ago at the carry dome. Okay? And, and better than that, I think that the way these things seem to work out lately, I, I, I think I could see the Bonnie's against, uh, against Syracuse next year. For a trip to the Sweet 16. Ooh, um, okay. So you didn't forget about the regular season. You're no, already dreaming big. That'll be a nice preview for the for the rematch. Whoever has to the rematch. I mean, you know, this year the bodies made the tournament. And who do they who do they face in the first round but LSU? And where did my wife happen to go to school but LSU? So that, you know, oh wow. That kind of tempered that's, things that's, a little bit for me. I mean that's a rough weekend know, of a car. That's a, tough, that's a tough one. Now, of course, in LSU, I mean, you know, they could win the national championship and it's still like third behind you know, football and spring football. But, um, but uh, so, so I, I, I do have a feeling that somehow uh, some way down the road next year, because the bodies are going to be very good. They got everybody back and they've added some great players. Uh, I, I do think that at some point they're going to have to answer 
to Syracuse to see if they can actually be the 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 best team in uh, in New York State next year. Thanks so much for doing this. I'm sure we will cross paths very soon. All right. Sounds good, JJ. Great talking to you as always. Good luck with the show. There you go. That's the great Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, longtime columnist extraordinaire. We got Nikki Totoro. We got a ton of listener voicemails. Astros are in town. I'm expecting the worst. What can I say? Ring a podcast network, New York, New York. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So before we get to my main man, the great Nikki Totoro, a little hiccup on our audio. We're exclusively on Zoom. Sometimes JJ has a couple of brain farts as we're doing our wonderful broadcast and... A little bit of a brain fart there, but no harm, no foul. Nikki's coming up next. Good stuff there with our main man, Mike Vaccaro. Now we welcome in one of my favorite people and one of the biggest Yankee fans on the planet. I said it's the perfect night to have this guy on because the last time we had a chat, both of us were on the ledge with the Yanks. Now the Yanks are back to winning ways. They have a rocking night at the stadium. And the only thing that was missing tonight is that my main man, Nikki Totoro, was not there. Out in Cali, what's happening, Nikki? All right, Johnny, it's great to be here. I swear, tonight, you're right, I would have liked to have been in that ballpark. Just for the revenge factor, just to be on that dugout, oh, my God. If I was there, you know, I would have really, really let loose. I'm sure you did, but I wish I could I'm I'm shocked, to be honest, Nikki, I have a voice. To be honest with you, after the yelling and screaming I did for three and a half hours, um, from watching it at home, did it sound crazy loud? It sounded very different. Sounded very like playoff atmosphere. You could tell the difference, like the stakes were high. People haven't forgot. People are still angry. You know, they're pissed off. And, you know, you could tell there was there was some juice in the building. Because, you know, that stadium, and, you know, it has, it's not it's like. Not the same. It's not, it's the, not same. the same. It's not the no same. Way. But there have been occasions when. You know, that building has come alive and it's reminded me of the old place a little bit, just a little bit. But tonight I could feel like, wow, I love it. They're bringing it. They're freaking bringing it tonight. And, and that gets me, you know, that gets me crazy. I love that, you know, because regular season, it's long. You know, I, even though I'm vested every fucking game, I'm vested. It don't matter. I'm vested against the Orioles as much. But the Astros, it's a little more juice. I don't want to lose to that team. And they got a lot of talent, but... You know, they they need payback. This is payback. No doubt. I mean, this was out of a Hollywood script. And when Bregman pimps the home run in the first inning, I'm like, geez, you got the fans going nuts. Please don't go and lose this game. And to see Nick, the lineup, feed off of the crowd the way that they did. Listen, last year they didn't have that. Beginning of the year they didn't have it. For the first time in two years, it felt like the Yankees tonight fed off that Yankee Stadium crowd. No, that's a good point because you know what? I mean, last year, that was really a bullshit year. 60 games is not a real baseball season and no fans. And the Yankees, you know, listen, they can drive. They can drive off that crowd sometimes. They did a little bit in 17. They did a little bit in 19. It's a different feeling when you, and you were in the building. TV can't capture it. So you could tell me that that place was really rocking. It, it looked pretty good for TV. But it's never the same on TV. But you could tell something was going. Where were you sitting? 
I was first row in left field. And let's just say Michael Brantley is going to be sick and tired of hearing my voice, Dickie Tatar. Ah, great. And that's the best thing about sitting right up on the field, bro. When there's 10,000 people in there, they're hearing every MF, every curse word that's thrown oh. out there, Nick. See? I know I'm getting under his skin. I love oh, it. Oh, no, that's what I'm – see, that's why I want to go to one of these games because my voice could be heard, your voice could be heard. Real loud. Oh, yeah. About 10,000 versus 30, 40. You get drowned it out. So you can, you can make a difference. I'm telling you. It, it, that's really – that's a great point. Because, you know, 50,000, it's like, you know, you can't be heard. Not like that. You know what okay. I mean? So a week ago, you and I had a conversation – not on podcast, but you and I shooting shit. And yeah. we were down in the dumps about our baseball team. We didn't like the direction. We didn't like the way they were playing. We didn't feel particularly good about them. Maybe it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago when they were getting beat up by Tampa. And they still got to prove to me, by the way, they can beat Tampa. As bad as they look two weeks ago and as good as they look right now, are you kind of somewhere in between? Are you kind of hanging off the ledge? Are you fully off the ledge? Where is Nick Totoro a month into this Yankee season? Right now, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I have to be cautious because, you know, I mean, I think the worst is behind us, but we still got a ways to go. You know what I mean? We still got some issues. We got a, an issue in left field, even center field a little bit, shortstop. I mean, listen, Glaber's coming around a little bit, which I like. I don't think he's the prototypical shortstop for the Yankees. I really don't. I really think Odor has really helped this team. He's got some balls, Nick. I yeah. like that. He's yeah. got a little toughness to and him. you know what? We needed it. We needed it because the team's a little, it's a little vanilla. It's a little soft. They need a little edge. You know what I mean? And, I, I you know, a guy like Odor, I, I like his moxie. They need that. They even miss Voight a little bit because Voight, even though, you know, Voight has got something, there's something about Voight. There's some intangibles that they need. And I think, what do you call it, behind the home plate, uh, since they put him back there a lot now, you know, he's made a difference. That kid. He's playing. Nick, he's catching Cole. And yeah. at this point, Cooper's yeah. been great with him the last two Come starts. On. He's you catching Cooper too. He's a, he, a big difference with the pitching staff with this kid. This kid just feels like a winner. Look tonight when the guy had the base stolen. Pitch out. What a throw. And they, they fucking nailed him. They nailed him with a great tag. You know, you, we saw it. I knew it was close. And then we saw the replay. Like, the guy took a long time to get the foot in. And they, that was a big out. That was a big out because it was 3-3. Three, three, and then if he, if he gets that stolen base, he's at second, nobody out. So, you know, the complexion of that inning was very big. Oh, uh, how about Stanton right now, bro? He is – and he's the guy that I've given a lot of shit to. I got to own Listen. it. He's not the perfect fit for the Yankees. I would prefer a lefty bat, all, all true, all on the record. Nicky, when he's hitting missiles like that, that double off the gap in right field, that's like a four iron, bro. It's a missile. Listen, this guy hits ropes like, I mean, I haven't seen too many guys hit line drives like this guy. I saw him at the Derby when he was on Miami in San Diego. It's insane how hard he hits the ball. I mean, I think Dave Winfield hit the ball pretty hard, too. I mean, because I saw Winnie in the uh, in the eighties, you know what I mean. They hit the ball very. It was very scary to be in the stands back then with Winfield. They didn't have all the nets today, but this guy, we need him. We need him, and maybe we found something with him in the two hole. Maybe we found some. Listen, he doesn't have to try to kill every ball. All he has to do is make contact. He's a beast. This guy is a scary dude, but we need him to be productive. And if he works in the two hole, so be it. Maybe now Judge 
We'll, be, we'll do better at three. You know what I mean? Because I don't like Hicks at three. You know what I mean? I don't, no way. That's got to end. Enough, enough of that. Enough of that. Enough of that. You know what I mean? So, listen, I, I'm happy to see Stanton coming around. We need his bat. You know, it would be great to have him and Judge together. But the other day, Judge was rolling. Now Stanton is rolling a little bit. Listen, we need those guys. It, it's, you know, it's very important. Very important. Who is your favorite player to watch on this current Yankee team? Who is Nicky Totoro's guy? I tell you who I really love. I love this kid, Gio Urshela. I love him. The happy fella, as John yeah, Sterling likes to say. The happy my, fella. He's my kind of player. He's my kind of player. He, he's clutch. He comes up with big plays. He does a lot of things to help them win. Um, and of course, I like Lemayu. Le- 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 you know what I mean? I love DJ. DJ is a, he's my guy. I mean, I love him. I mean, even though he's starting a little slow this year, but he's human. But you know, he's always going to make contact. He could have played with the Yankees in the 90s. This guy's a he's a battler, quiet. He's got that stone face. But I like him because he's just, you know, he's one of those guys that could have been on the 90s teams. I love him. And of course, um, you know, I like, I like, I like Higgy a lot. I like Higgy a lot, man. Wow, you're on the Higgy bandwagon like right lot, now. You were jumping right in. No, I like him a lot. I really do. I mean, I was a big judge guy. I still am. I still am. I still love Judge. I think I just need him to stay on the field. And be a little more consistent, but I still love Judgey. There's something about Judge I still love. I don't know why. You know, it's just something that came up as a Yankee. And I think he's a tough guy. I think he's got a little edge to him, too. You know, he's got that chip on his shoulder. But um, Higgy is definitely, I think they found something with this guy, especially with the pitching staff. Very good. You know, and, and I mean, the bullpen has been pretty good. Really, really good. Yeah. Really, John, really good. And remember, they don't have Britain right now, and they're without O'Day. You get those guys back, the bullpen is that much deeper, Nicky. I know. I know. I mean, listen, I, I liked O'Day, what he was doing. And then you know, Britain will be a force. He'll come back in June. Or I would ho- I would love to see if they could get Severino back. What do you hear about him? Well, June, July at this point. With Tommy John, you never know. You know, Nicky, you never know. He could be back in June and he's good to go. Yeah. Some guys, it takes longer to come back from Tommy John. So that's why I've said with Syndergaard with the Mets and with Severino with the Yankees, they're telling you certain timetables, but be careful with those timetables. Be very, very careful, bro. Listen, I mean, we we can't expect Severino, you know what I mean? Anything we get from him would be fantastic. You know what I mean? I mean, if we even even if we could use him out of the bullpen, you never know. He could be a weapon. You know what I mean? If he's if they can't stretch him out, let's see what he is. I don't know. I haven't seen him in a long time. But I want I would love to see him back. You know what I mean? I want to ask you this point blank, because I'm thinking about it tonight. And you've been in a lot of Yankee Stadium rocking crowds. I've been in plenty of rocking crowds, but this one is fresh in my mind. It's not the best game I've ever been to. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to go. Fun game, fun game. And it's been a while because it kind of, kind of reminded you of what the good old days used to be like. Right. What is the best Yankee game you ever attended? The best Yankee game? Um, you've been in a bunch, so I'm sure you got a good one for no, me. I have right? a couple of them. I 76 that. The Chambliss game, game five against the Royals. Did you run on the field when that happened? Yes, I came in from oh, left field. yes. From oh, left boy. field, man. From left field. I had grass in my hand. I was running with the grass, planted it in my backyard. I mean, that was a that was a great, great night. I was, I was also on the field, the Reggie three-homer game. Cops were swinging the clubs. That was a good game. It wasn't as good as that 70s, the Chambliss. They hadn't won in 12 years. So I never knew what that felt like. When I dove from left field, like I was in high school, my guy was out of body, out of body. Um, I will say um, 
I think the uh, Aaron Boone game was a fantastic game. I was at that game. I'm jealous you were at that one. Fantastic game. Man, that was. It bothers me, though, Nick, thinking about the next year. As great a game as that was, anytime I think about the Aaron Boone game now, I think about those four hideous losses to Boston. Like, it's all I can think of now. Yeah, well, because then, you know, A Rod came in. The whole well, the Yankees couldn't even beat the Marlins, for goodness sakes. They lost the, the World Series to the damn Marlins. Well, we should have won that World Series. We were flat as a button because, you know, after that seven-game series, they just... Well, and they were up to one, and Wells threw out his back, and Torrey didn't use Rivera. I mean, yeah. they, don't get me started. Yeah. And back and shut him down in game six. Yeah, it's a World Series that they should have won, even though that team was a little different. Was a little different. You know, um, I will say the Arizona... Game seven, I was at the, the game in game seven. That was a, even though they lost that game. That might be the greatest World Series fucking, game ever. That's the fucking be. greatest game. And let's be, let's be honest here. The Yankees, they had no business winning that World Series. Zero. Totally agree with you on that. You gotta totally be honest. I mean, you know, listen, I think they didn't hit in that world. They won two miracle games. And then they almost had it fucking pulled out. And over a bunch. Soriano hitting that pitch off Schilling, Nikki, oh. at his ankles, yeah. hitting it over the fence. When Rivera's coming in the game, you're like, it's over. There's no way in the world they're going to lose this yeah, game. Yeah, but here's, here's the thing, Johnny. They brought him in in the eighth inning. But they did that a ton of times. Not that all was the time. Not all the time. Not plenty of time. times, though. Six out saves, though, Nikki. I get it. Now it's easy uh, to look it, back it, on. They it, did it plenty it, of times. Look, I mean, he went extra innings against the Red Sox at Game Seven, but most of the time, if you look back at Rivera's track record, he was a ninth inning guy. He he wasn't like the guys in the seventies, like Sparky Lau, Goose Gosses. Guys pitched multiple, came in the eighth. You know, Mo Rivera came in, you know, usually in the ninth. He he didn't always go for the extra. I mean, he might have a little bit. He might have a little bit. But I never, I never always said it's, you know, a done deal. As great as he was, he's still human. You know what I mean? And then it was that one play, the, the fucking bunt. The bunt, you know, and then the guy who slid into second. I can well, and not only that, Nick, then he bunts again. Then he could get the out of turn, and Brocious didn't throw it across the diamond. I, I know. I know, but but the other play, I think, changed the whole the whole inning. That David DeLucci, the guy that slid. Remember Jeter? How, my God, Jeter went I with remember, Jeter was all beat up from diving in the stands yeah. against Oakland a couple of series ago. Yeah, and he was, was all that, beat up in that oh, game. there's another great game. I was at the game three. I was at the flip play with Museum. You were at what? What, yeah. what were you doing in Oakland? I you know, drove. Right? Oh, I think it's Oakland. Because the Yankees were going to get swept. And I said, I got to go there. Maybe I can change their luck. So, you know, so basically, I can attribute the Yankees turning that series around to you saying, all right, we got to change the juju. We got to change the blue. Yeah. I got to get out there. You could say that because I was there. I always feel like if I have to be there, sometimes my mojo could push him. That's how I feel. It doesn't always work, but it did work with that team, and it did work in that game because then I stayed for the next day, and we bombed Corey Lytle, poor late, the late Corey Lytle. El Duque on the mound. That was the day Jermaine Dye, remember, fractured his leg. Yes. First inning, fouled the yes. pitch off his leg and fractured his leg. But I the Mucina game was great. One nothing. I think Posada hit a home run off Barry Zito. Barry Zito was dropping the damn curve. And the funny thing about that play, when Terrence Lawn hits the line drive down the field, the whole place goes nuts. You know, Coliseum is wild. 
They're fucking wild. And 60,000 now. I mean, yeah, it's a football everybody stadium. Up in the air. So I'm just assuming, you know, I'm assuming that it's going to be 1 1. And all, I don't even think I was close, but I didn't even see the play of it because it happened like insane. And then we hear, ow! And I was like, what? How the, what the fuck? It was like, it, you know, you were there, but I'm telling you, I didn't really see it the way I would have liked to seen it. But it was a, when you watch it, it I've never seen a guy out by like that much. It's insane. They, you know, how that player came. And then, you know, that, that was a, that was huge, huge. How does someone like you, you got your hands in so many different cookie jars, Hollywood, you're acting, you're working on different projects, you name it. How do you find the time? It's easy for me. This is my job. This is my livelihood, but I love it. Me and you have that in common. We have that bond with diehard Yankee fans. No, no, no. But Nikki, no. you're locked in every night, bro. How do you do it? This is my job. The only difference is you get paid. I don't. <laughs> that is the difference. The difference is I'm a professional fucking fan. All right? I know as much as you or anybody else. doesn't matter. This is my passion. So... If so be it, somebody gave me a job and they wanted to pay me, whatever. I've heard people tell me that bullshit, but I didn't get into that for this. But listen, I'm working. And listen, I make the time. If I don't have it, I find the time. You know what I mean? And if I'm working, I'll get updates. I'll do whatever I got to do. But usually I'm right here and I'm invested. And I don't watch every game, but I watch a lot. And I watch for the duration. I'm not in and out. I'm, I'm here. I'm dug in. You know what I mean? I'm in the trenches with them all the way, all the way. This is what okay. I do. I've been doing this for years, Johnny. I know, and I've known you now almost a decade. And the passion has There's not, not too many psychos like me left. There's not too if many. If anything, left. I think the passion has gone to another level because you haven't seen a championship now in about 10 years, 11 yeah. years. I, I think it's taken it to another level, Nick. A long Just time. Saying. A long time. And, you know, and then we got to, this is getting really old. You know, 2009, we got one token championship. We go back to 03 which we threw away or one we could have had, but we really didn't deserve it. So we really haven't won a lot of championships uh, the last 20 years. It's a, you know, I, I mean, I know you have cry, cry baby Yankee fans, all this bullshit, but it's about winning championships. We haven't won that. We've had a lot of droughts. There was a drought from 78 to 96. There was a big drought there that I saw the eighties, was a disaster. More yeah. wins than anybody in the 80s did win a title. How old are you? How old are you? I'm going to be 33 next week. So thankfully, I didn't see much of the 80s, Nikki. Yeah. Thankfully. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> you didn't miss anything. Donnie in his prime, I missed. Donnie in his prime, I missed that. He was great. And, I mean, they had a cast of, you don't know, the pitching staff, the guys that had in the 80s. It was a disaster. If they had any bit of pitching, they probably would have won. I mean, they were close a couple of years Toronto Blue Jays were very good in the mid-80s, but uh, they had no pitching. But Donnie was great. Ricky Henderson was a fun Yankee to watch. Uh, I mean, Winfield was a good Yankee, too. I mean, he, you know, he gets a bad, a bad rap when he um, – but I love Donnie. But, yeah, the 80s was a loss. And then they by the early 90s, they really bombed out. And then they started to, you know, re, you know um, rebuild a little bit in the, around 92, 93. They had Gene Michael. They had Showalter. You know, when Steinbrenner, like, took a back seat, they started to build that team. And then I think one of the biggest trades they ever made was Paul O'Neill. That was a huge trade. For Roberto Kelly, no question about it. That was and a the, the knock on O'Neill is that he couldn't hit lefties and that he was a platoon player. And they basically said, hit the all fields, 
do you? And he was. His intensity and what he brought to the team, game changer. I've never asked you this question. And it's on my mind, Nikki, because there was a marathon a couple weeks ago. You're a Hollywood guy. You've been in a ton of movies. Godfather, Goodfellas. What's the better film? Godfather. By a lot? Or is it close? Well, they're different movies. I mean, uh, The Godfather is a masterpiece. You understand? It's a masterpiece. And, and Goodfellas is a... Is, is, is kind of a masterpiece, too. But, I mean, it's a, it's a different film. You have... One movie that's like about street guys, and then you have one movie that's like almost Shakespearean. It's a puzzle. I see what you're saying with Godfather. It's a three-hour Shakespeare plot puzzle, all tied into one character development. Michael, the uh, Sonny, the as a, as a complete on. movie, as a complete film. No, you're putting one and two together when you say complete movie, or you separating the two. Yes, because they're both masterpieces. And, and and I'm saying like like Goodfellas is, is 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 genius. It's fantastic. But the last, you know, the last thirty minutes of it or forty minutes, there's there's some stuff that it, you know. It, I'm not gonna say it's you know it fizzles out at the end. Well, listen, but, he's going into witness protection, the yeah. whole coke stuff. I get it. Now, would you say Goodfellas is Scorsese's best movie? Um, no, I wouldn't. Raging Bull? No, I think Taxi Driver is his best movie. Wow, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is on another level. It's on another level. Raging Bull is unbelievable, too. Raging Bull, I think the performances in Raging Bull with De Niro and Pesci, their performances are like what you would call a tour de force. Tour de force is like, the movie is great, don't get me wrong, but the, the acting, it's like an acting clinic watching, you know, uh, De Niro and Pesci. They're like, you, you don't even feel like you're watching actors. You almost feel like you're peeking in the window. But the movie itself, it's not really an incredible story. The guy was a, was a jerk. He was a, not, a, not a great guy and, you know, not a very, I, I don't think it's like a great, great story. Uh, but I think the mo- the execution of that movie is really great. I mean, it's shot incredible. But I would, I would, I would tell you that Taxi Driver, that film, uh, on every level, it's uh, it's unbelievable. It's mesmerizing how great that film is. I'm talking about the movie. I'm not just talking about the performances. And that's my opinion. But there's a lot of people that. A knowledgeable that would agree with me. So well, who is the guy right now, Nick, in Hollywood, actor or actress, that when you sit down and watch him or her, you're captivated for two, two and a half hours? Do you have a favorite actor right now in Hollywood? Um, you know what? I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to, um, I, I loved him as a child, and then it took me a while as an adult. I think DiCaprio is, is really starting to come into his own as a, as an adult, the last couple of films I've seen him in that, but I would say like, if you just say somebody that really comes to mind, that's incredible. There's like somebody like Daniel day Lewis, like he hasn't acted much lately, but you know, when he's in a movie, he kills it. When I see him, he's just like, you take, for example, that movie, the gangs of New York. Now that's not, the movie is good. 
But his performance, Johnny, is absurd. Is absurd. absurd. It's better than the movie. The movie to me is is good. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a good movie. But he's off the wall watching him throwing fucking knives and the accent like some early Irish New York accent. Uh, he's off the wall. You can't you can't take your eyes off him. You watch him and there will be blood. He's he's insanely great and he's just fantastic, you know. Um, you know, and then, you know, Gandolfini, he passed away, but I rewatched The Sopranos just for him. Is he was just a, a, an incredible, a, a different animal to watch. That show is so good, Nick. Yeah, and he you is, can rewatch it over and over again. It's he so was good. incredible. I'm telling you, it's like going act, it's kind of like going to acting school watching him. Even when he's not talking, when he's eating ice cream, when he's just his reactions. I mean, that show could have been a good show, but without him, it never would have been. He is the guy. I mean. And then, you know, like you root for the fucking guy, like no matter how bad he's a sociopath and you're still no, saying, I you, want him to pull through. You, yeah. you actually love the guy. You're rooting for the guy. The more I watched that show, I found the women in the show. And even my wife said this, that the women are not even that likable. Like even his wife, after a while you go, you know, I don't really like her. She's a great actress. I'm just talking about like, like my cousin. She's not likable on the show. I mean, she's great. But her character, like Gandolfini, could be a fucking monster. But and he was sexy too, you know, with with women. Like you never saw like a big fat guy who was like a, a sex symbol. He really was great with women, you know. Even though he was what he was, you know. I mean, you know, he really was so special. That guy. It's a shame that you know. He, he passed so early. I, I I met him a couple of times and I could tell he had an incredible presence. Not only was he big. You think he'd still be acting if he was alive, Nikki? Yeah, I think he would be. I think he would be. Uh, but he had, there was just a lot in, going on with that guy. I think that that took a lot out of him. To, I can understand that. You know, to do that kind of role, you could tell by the sixth year. I didn't care for the sixth season that much. I think he was done with it. I think he was, he poured his soul out and it was like, I think he kind of ran dry in the last year. Like if you watch the last year, it just kind of, the first, you know, four or five, even in 50, I think, you know, I just think when you do a series, cause I did a series years ago and you run dry after a while. Cause you go, I did it. I did it a hundred times. I, you know, I've done this. So it's like to keep it fresh. That's why you see a lot of shows and they like, yeah, they keep going because the fans are there, but they're stale. What show is fucking great for eight years, nine years? Tough to find, man. It's tough hard. to find. It's After, hard. I'll give you an example. I like This Is Us. Really good show, good acting, Tia Jerker, watch with Kate all the time. I'm ready for it to wrap up after next year. Enough. It gets to a point where enough is enough. You know, dude, like four or five years, if you know what you're doing and you have a plan, not that I'm a director, not I'm the Hollywood guy, but as a viewer, I'm over it, bro. I'm over it. Sopranos was one of the few that had me still hanging on at the end. And I wonder how much of that is Gandolfini. I'd have to think about that. I think a lot of it is, is him. A lot of it is him. I mean, you know, because he really, you're, you're drawn to him so much that, I mean, and everybody has a lot of characters that they loved on it. And Paulie Walnuts was great. I mean, you know, Uncle Junior was 
Fantastic. I mean, people have their favorites, but he was the anchor of that show. And he, I mean, that's why, like, you know, you're just driven to the guy. Even when you, even when you saw it in the first, the first scene when he's just sitting in the, he's waiting to go in the, uh, the therapist's office. You're like, who, who is this guy? You know, it's like, he, he wasn't, he wasn't typical. And, uh, you know, he could be really, really vulnerable and he could be really, really menacing too. And he had those kind of both quality vulnerability and also the guy could be an animal, you know? Um, and I, and he was a great guy too. I heard, I heard that he did like incredible things for people, for the cast guys in Hollywood. Don't do that shit. They don't do that shit. They don't, they don't, they don't give money out of their pocket to everybody else. They don't, you know, do the kind of things that this guy, he, he was the kind of guy that was, he went way beyond, like, maybe he felt like, he, I don't know. Some people feel like when they're that generous, you know, but it was genuine. It was really genuine. Like, and I, cause I know I'm in this business and you don't see that kind of, or you don't even hear about that. These guys are, oh yeah, I love you. I love you. I love you. How much you love me? How much do you love me? You love me that much? You know, I might say, hey, Nikki, baby, how you doing? How am I doing? How do you want to really know how I'm doing? Do you really want to know how I'm yeah, doing? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, but you know, you just, it's, it's not really like, because there were, it's just, there's a lot of fake, fakeness. And that was what was great about him. He didn't come across as a very actorish guy. If you watch his work, I mean, he was, obviously he had a lot of skill, but he was not, he didn't, you didn't see like a, a guy there who was very, I, I see a lot of actors and you could tell like sometimes they have a lot of tricks. They're good, but they have a lot of tricks up their sleeves. He came across as, you know, really very real. It was very low. I mean, it was, I don't know. It was just kind of, he just really made a big impact on me. Just as, just as, an, just watching him. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes you can watch great stuff and go, wow, you could go to school. You could go to school. You watch a great movie. You watch you know, I, in fact, he was brought up The Godfather. It was on the other day. I hadn't seen it in a while. And just, just when you're watching it, you're like, wow. Look how great every... You pick up something different every time, don't you? I oh, mean, I do. Every oh. single time I watch it, I pick up something different. If it's oh, a cadence, yeah. if it's a scene, if it's yeah. some significance that I didn't yeah. pick up the time before, it's amazing, Nikki. Amazing that, in that regard. That's what's great about a movie that gets better and better. The more you see it, the more you go, wow. I always find something... You know, sometimes there are movies like that that you could watch and it gets better and better. Like sometimes, uh, like that movie, The Town. I really like that movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. Let me tell you something. It's a good cast, too. Bam, it's really, good I tell you. Leonard's good in it. Blake Lively is very good in it. And you know who's good in it, too? Ham. Ham is a Ham is the, is the bad oh, cop, man. He's a badass he's a in that movie. Dick. He's a He's a... He's but a, that's good. It's oh, good yeah. quality. Yeah. Anytime you're the villain, Nikki, that you love to hate, you know you're doing a good job. Oh, absolutely. Like Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator. I hated that fucking guy's guts, but right. that means he had an unbelievable performance. Sure, sure. No, and I mean, and, and, and John Hamm is a, he's not a guy that you really like, but you watch him and, you, and the more you watch him, you said he, he really did a good job. He did a really good job. That's probably the best thing. Who's the other guy? Not Affleck, the, uh, the other guy. What's his uh, name? Renner in the Marvel movies. Renner, yeah. Renner. yeah. He, probably one of the best things Renner's ever did. I mean, it's like, I, I, I expected more from him. I haven't seen enough. Well, you got that Marvel thing, man. You got that Marvel yeah, one coming in. You don't got to do much, bro. I know, but You don't got to do much. You're on that money train, baby. You're on that money train. 
We got to get you in a Marvel movie, and that's it. Retire. I know. Man. I haven't been lucky enough. My brother was in Transformers. I mean, I was in a huge movie, uh, but unfortunately, it was a remake, The Longest Shot. Yeah, well, we got to get we got to get you a part now. Maybe I got to talk to your agent. Maybe I got to work on this with my Hollywood people. Getting you in a Marvel movie, so that way you are set for life. Now, before I know, you go, I know. I mean, I you know, listen. I would love yeah. to be on it just for the money train. We tie it back to our beloved baseball team. Yes. Who is the American League team that you fear the most as we get ready for May, June, July, and beyond? I'll leave it. We'll leave it on that note. Who is the team that right now Nick Totoro is worried about in the American League? You know who I'm worried about? Nobody. Ooh, I'm not okay. worried about any team. What I'm worried about is our team. If we got our team right, none of these teams scare the shit out of me. I'll be honest with you. Are you really that afraid of any of these teams, Johnny? They're not. I expect the Yankees to be in a World Series this year, Nick. Expect the Yankees. Uh, Tampa, Tampa because they continue to own the Yankees. Yes. Tampa bothers I'm, me. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Me. The American League has gotten very, very weak. And um, they're not the Dodgers. They're not stacked like that. The National League has a couple of little more power. Dodgers, Padres, and Braves, even yeah. though the Braves have gotten Listen, off to a Tampa rock start. Bay is a problem for us if they're in the playoffs. They're a problem. The Red Sox now, right now are overachieving. I don't know if they're going to keep that up. They got a good manager back, even though he's a crook. He's a good manager. You know, that guy's a good manager, you know, even though he's a thief, that guy. But he, he can manage Cora, you know. But, I mean, I'm not really afraid of, of anybody in the West. I'm not afraid of uh, the White Sox. None of these teams scare me. If we're playing good, if we're clicking and we got chemistry, we could beat any of these teams. We could. We should. But we have to do it on the field. Talk is cheap. Amen to that. Talk Listen, is cheap. Play the game. Don't be a stranger to this podcast. Listen, we think New York City like and Yankee the, fans, we think you. So I, don't be a stranger, I'll okay? I'll come back. I'll definitely come back. I like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a fan of this thing. That's my man. That's right. a great Nikki Totoro. All right, Nikki, Johnny. Take care, baby. Thanks, buddy. That's the great Nick Totoro. Listener voicemails coming up. Fire up Yankee fans, I'm sure. Life is good. New York, New York. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold, slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. All right, folks, now time for listener voicemails. I'm sure they're going to be very spirited. I know I'm certainly very spirited after this terrific Tuesday night Yankee win that has caused my voice probably to vanish and disappear as soon as I say goodbye. So let's start off part two of the shebang. Who's on the horn? JJ Justin from Floral Park. What a difference a week makes. Love bashing the cheaters, the Astros. Take their fucking ass. Crowd was pumped. From Jump Street, awesome time. Felt like playoff baseball. This is the intensity the Yankees need all the time. And let's go. Let's take them out. Embarrass them on the field. That's what we got to do. Hate this goddamn team. I know there's only five guys left from that team from 17. But still, 
Didn't start off great with Bregman, but we answered with Stanton. Need him to continue to hit, but great, great atmosphere at Yankee Stadium tonight. What a difference a week takes. That's my main man, Justin Floral Park, getting us going, and he's absolutely right. The vibe and the mood around the Yankees is drastically different than what it was a week ago, and that's what winning games can do. That's what scoring runs can do. The Yankees have gotten excellent starting pitching over the last two weeks. Cole, you know what you're going to get. Kluber has looked a lot better. And I thought Herman against a good Astros lineup was solid. This was a solid start for him. The problem Herman ran into is that when he made a mistake in this game, it left the ballpark. Bregman left the ballpark. Brantley left the ballpark. He's very fortunate the Guriel ball ended up staying in the ballpark. All in all, Herman is a little good. Considering he's had basically a year-plus layoff of not pitching, and his first two starts were not impressive against Toronto and Tampa Bay, I think since then, he's been the guy we saw going back before his suspension in 2019. And the stadium was rocking. And I'm hopeful that as the season progresses and the Yankees get more and more people into Yankee Stadium, that they can be a team feeding off their crowd once again. We saw that a ton, 2018, 2019, 2017. Really good home team. Last year, they weren't. 60-game season, want to take it with a grain of salt? Perhaps. No crowd to feed off of last year. They were feeding off that crowd today. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, it's Wizard in Hoboken. Wanted to call about the Giants, uh, and, and more in particular, Giants fans that seem to just continuously be angry online and refuse to give Daniel Jones a chance. And I think it's all tied to Gettleman. They hate Gettleman, they want Gettleman out, and they know that if Daniel Jones has any success, that shows that Dave Gettleman has success. And no Giants fan that hates Gettleman wants to admit that. And I know Daniel Jones hasn't been perfect. Year three is going to be a big year for him. But, geez, give the guy a chance. People want to write him off right away. Love the show, man. You're doing awesome. I appreciate that, Wizard. Look, it's make or break time for Daniel Jones. And I think a whole lot of Giant fans were spoiled in the sense that they had Eli Manning for a long period of time. I'll own this about Eli. Two years into his career, did I think he'd end up becoming a two-time Super Bowl champion? Did I think he'd end up being a guy that would beat Tom Brady and the Patriots not once but twice? So Brady basically said the other day he would trade Super Bowls for that perfect season. Can't blame Tom on that. I would too. Because nobody else has it outside of Don Shula, the no-name defense, and my 72 Miami Dolphins. But I bring up the Eli comparison with Jones because for about a decade and a half, you knew you were getting a quarterback. The Giants right now, don't know what they're getting with Daniel Jones. He comes out of the gate and has a terrific third year. You're going to feel really, really good about where the team is headed and where specifically he's headed. But if he is a turnover machine and he's ineffective and he's not playing good football, the Giants are set up, whether it's in the draft next year, whether it's getting a star quarterback because of all their draft capital, to go and make a big move. But that's next year's conversation. This year's conversation is about winning with Daniel Jones. 
and we're going to find out if they can do it. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Spencer from Iowa here on the call. You've brought up in a number of podcasts recently that Lonzo Ball is your dream scenario in terms of the Knicks adding to the current team this offseason. While I agree that we do need to upgrade the starting point guard spot, I think Kyle Lowry would be a much better fit with our core guys next season. I'd much rather have him on a shorter deal for more annual money than give Lonzo a four-year $80 million deal when he's far too inconsistent, struggles to stay healthy, and I think that Lowry could elevate the squad in a similar way to how we see CP3 doing out in Phoenix. I think his style of play matches the team perfectly. He has that defensive mindset that Tibbs would love. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on where the Knicks should go this offseason. I think they should uh, go with Lowry if they can. Love the pod. Thanks. Appreciate it. Lowry's an interesting name. He's a tough player. He's played on a whole lot of winning teams. I think in many ways he was vindicated and validated with the Raptors winning a championship and having a couple of big moments in that playoff run. I'm looking for the young ascending guard, though. And if you're going to ask me between Paul and Lowry, who's more appealing, it's obviously Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been an absolute game changer in Phoenix this year. Game changer. I think Lowry would help the Knicks. Don't get me wrong. But I need a young ascending guard. That's what I want on this team. And by that definition, Kyle Lowry doesn't fit that bill. I understand your point about payroll flexibility. It's fair. It's valid. It's not unreasonable. I need a young guard. Because I have a young team. I need to ascend. I can't have a 30-something-year-old point guard in a perfect world. Now, when you set up that call, I thought you were ready to drop a Dame Lewis hammer on me. That's where I thought you were going. And yeah, I mean, listen, I'm trying to live in the real world, not fantasy world. Lonzo Ball, at least I can live in the real world. Dame Lillard, you talk about the Knicks getting Dame Lillard, we're living in fantasy world, okay? Got to tell it like it is. Who's next? Hey, JJ, it's Oliver from Staten Island. So the draft is in the books. Uh, all these grades, you know, who knows? We'll know in two years, but um, I think uh, your team, my team, uh, it appears we did well. So now we move on to the schedule next week. But my question to you, I know there's a lot of Nick Foles talk. Um, I would love to see the Jets sign him. Uh, I know Zach Wilson was the second pick in the draft, but to me, he has to earn the job in camp. And I, you got to have a veteran that's going to make this guy compete. I'm just not handing the keys to this guy and drilling him in too early. Uh, curious what you think. Appreciate it, I. Nick Foles linked to the New York Jets is definitely something I didn't think long and hard about. It makes sense, though. Because the Jets need a veteran quarterback in that room. I want Zach Wilson to start. I expect Zach Wilson to start. Somebody like Foles would be perfect. Because he's won a Super Bowl. I think at this stage in his career, Nick Foles is not itching to be a starting quarterback. There have been, you know, two or three times where Nick Foles has basically said, hey, I'm cool, back it up. And then he goes on a run in Philadelphia and then got a big contract in Jacksonville. And then found his way to Chicago. It's amazing. Nick Foles could go to Philadelphia. He'll never buy a drink there for the rest of his life. He'll never buy a meal there for the rest of his life. He comes in his quarterback room, veteran presence. I'm A-OK with it. But it's not one of those make or break type things. I need a veteran quarterback. The name is not nearly as important. You tell me, Nick Foles, Super Bowl MVP, carry some weight, sure. Anything to help Zach Wilson. That's what I'm thinking about, I. Who's next? 
What's up, my man? I am calling to talk about the Yankees and John Collarston. I feel like you and a lot of callers have just been so not into Stanton. And meanwhile, he's on a 10-game hit streak just like smacking the shit out of the ball. Um, ye of little faith. I love having him on the squad. Give me your thoughts. Love the show. Bye. Fair point. I've done plenty of ragging on Stanton the last few years. I think this audience has done plenty of ragging on John Carlos Stanton. He's playing great. We know he's talented. But like, I don't think that's ever been the narrative. It's how he fits the Yankees, his inability to play the outfield, the fact that when he's running cold, he's just too similar a type of hitter to, I don't know, Aaron Judge. And I don't regret what I said as far as Stanton not being a fit on this team and being a great fit on this team. Doesn't mean he can't play. When he's locked in like this, he crushes baseball right up there with anybody. It's fun to watch. It's pretty to watch. I mean, that missile he hit off the right center field fence, like I said, it's a four iron, baby. That's like one of those pro four irons that's just taking off. That's what Stanton can do. He's got to stay on the field. He's got to keep producing. And very easy to turn those boos into cheers. Unless you're an Astro. Then it's impossible. And I expect this to be the case, by the way, with the Yankees playing the Astros for quite a while now. I really do. I I think the Yankee fan, anytime they're playing the Astros, it's going to be an event. It'll die down eventually. Everything does. But the first couple of times through, ooh. They're lucky they're not coming to Yankee Stadium again. But could you imagine if we have the Astros coming to Yankee Stadium, a full house? Oh, baby. The only element that I wonder about, the chants were so loud for anybody who was watching on TV today because when there's nobody in the building, it's like the sound kind of echoes in a way that you can hear things a lot more. Crystal clear, you know? That's the sense I've gotten in watching a lot of these games with, like, not as many people in the building. You hear the hecklers. You hear the chants. Can't drown it out with cheering and music and, and all that other nonsense. I mean, I'll take 50,000 people up. Yeah, I mean, if I have a choice, gladly take 50,000 people. And then we can maybe uh, compare the acoustics. I'd be more than happy to do so. Two to go. JJ, it's the Coney Island Cobra. I just want to give uh, big respects to uh, Lunchpail Gettleman. I thought he had a great draft. I know they didn't take an offensive lineman, which I would have liked, but for the most part, a great draft. And I got to be honest, you know, you always seem to sign with the Jet fan, even though you're a Dolphins fan. I don't know what it is you got against the Giants, but you know what? This is a Giants town, and the Jet fans, they can go suck it as far as I'm concerned. You're a bunch of fucking losers. You picked a quarterback who's already got his sights on Lombardi, and he hasn't even played a game yet. Well, let me just tell you something, you non-drinking son of a bitch. You ain't winning shit. This is a giant town. Mark my fucking words. This is G-Men all fucking day. Hey, Jet fans, fuck you. Let's go, Giants! That is an all-timer from our good pal, Matty, the Coney Island Cobra in Stanford, Connecticut. Wow. Fighting words for the Jeff fan. Now, I got to take you to task on this, Matt. 
I did a segment the other day on SNY, and you can find it on my social media page because I was asked a question by the super talented Maria Marino. And I was asked, who has a better chance of exceeding their win total this year? The Jets or the Giants, according to Vegas. And I said it was the Giants going away. So I may have been critical of Dave Gettleman. I may have my reservations and doubts about this quarterback. I think the jury is very much still out on whether or not he's a top-notch player at that position. But there are signs of the Giants slowly but surely moving in the right direction. But clearly, you have an axe to grind with the Jet fan. And you bring up a point with Wilson. He's got a little charisma and a little cockiness to him. And I, for one, like that. I like it. Because to me, if you're going to play in New York and you're going to play the most important position in all sports, which is the quarterback position, I think you got to have a little edge to you. And I think that's something that hurts Sam Darnold. And everybody has their own way and everybody's going to lead the way they want to lead. The sense I got with Sam Darnold was a little too nice. It was a little too nice. So I want Wilson to be a guy kind of coming in and taking name, kicking ass. That's what I want to say. I believe, last but not least, or do we have two to go? I don't know. I can't even keep count. Let's figure this out. Who's up next? What's going on, JJ? It's Tyler from Syracuse. Watching the Knicks play tonight. They're still got a lot of time left in the third quarter, but assuming they're going to beat Memphis. I just find it hilarious how not even 12 months ago, we were calling for Jim Dolan to sell the team, and there was this no hope for the Knicks. And now here they are, fourth in the East, going to make the playoffs, and there's no – you don't hear any of that anymore. It seems like everyone's happy with the Knicks, the franchise, James Dolan, et cetera. I was just wondering your thoughts on that. Keep up the great work, and uh, I love the show. So hope to hear you from you soon. Tyler, it's very simple, my friend. When you win, a lot of the nonsense goes away. It disappears. People don't have as much of a reason to bitch and moan and bellyache about James Dolan in the last 20 years and this and that when you're winning. When you're losing, the Charles Oakley situation goes from bad to worse. The Spike Lee situation. This, that, Phil, on and on we go. Because the Knicks for 20 years after Jeff Van Gundy left, were a three-ring circus. They were a losing franchise with a losing culture. Tom Thibodeau has come in and has changed a whole lot of that. And what I have loved so much about what I've seen this year, the Knicks don't take nights off. Think about this for a minute, folks. They're playing Memphis the other night. Derrick Rose is turning back the clock like he's the Derrick Rose that we saw with the Chicago Bulls. It's insane. Mike Vaccaro was on the show earlier. I honestly cannot think of a New York athlete who was bad in their first stint wearing a specific uniform, came back and was leaps and bounds better. And I'm not talking about a guy getting sent down in the minor leagues. I'm talking about a guy who had two different stints with a particular franchise. 
Rose's first stint with the Knicks, I mean, it was in the middle of the film mess when they're trying to run that dopey triangle offense. Phil thinking that he had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and that it was 1998, not 2016. I give Rose a pass on that. I give any Nick player who is a part of that mess a pass because of how dysfunctional and how clueless they were from a front office standpoint. But where would the Knicks, and the reason I bring this up is, where would the Knicks be without Derrick Rose? It's an honest question. Where would the Knicks be without Derrick Rose? I don't know. I don't know. Not in the 4-5 matchup. They're going to be tested over the next couple of games. They've gotten through the easier portion of this monster West Coast trip. They got Denver coming up. They got Phoenix coming up. They have both Los Angeles teams on the schedule. Lakers next Tuesday. They have the Clippers, which, by the way, somebody's got to explain the scheduling to me. How is that not an ABC game on Sunday? I guess they're not doing ABC games. So I guess they're sticking those bad boys on ESPN. I mean, I'm not an expert with that stuff. I can't keep track of what's what. I know when the games are on. Don't matter to me. I have cable. I might be the last of the Mohegans not cutting the cord, but I have cable. You don't have to worry about that. We're good. As the kids like to say, we're Gucci. But those are some premier matchups for the Knicks. Where they're testing themselves against the best the league has to offer. And I know this. They they might fall short in a couple of these games. They might. They're going to bust their ass night in and night out. Whether it's Randall, whether it's Barrett, whether it's Quickly, Rose, Nerlens, Noel, you give me the guy. That's what I've enjoyed watching on a nightly basis with this team. Because in a league where there are times I question the effort of what you might see second out of a back-to-back, a team basically coasting for the postseason, a team coasting to try to get a lottery pick. There's a lot of that right now. Especially with a weird, COVID, truncated NBA season. Have not gotten that from the Knicks. How do you not love that? I know I do. Another basketball note before we take our final call. Brooklyn has now lost back-to-back games with Milwaukee. And... It could end up being problematic for Brooklyn twofold. One, the idea that the one seed is slipping past them. Why is the one seed important? The one seed is important because think about your second round matchup. No disrespect to the Knicks or the Hawks or whoever ends up in the 4 or 5. I'd rather play that team than Milwaukee. None of those teams have Giannis. Despite his playoff demons and shortcomings, we're still talking about one of the three, five best players in the sport. Maybe three is a bit extreme. I'd have to, I'd have to revisit that, think about it. LeBron would be there. Kawhi would be there. Durant would be there, for me at least. Steph is there. Yeah, Giannis, I'll be fair. He's got a couple of MVPs. He's going to be in that top five range. Max, you put him at six to seven. Max. And his numbers are just as good as his MVP years. Next is seeing the one slip away. And now it's not a given that they'll have home court advantage in a second round matchup. Perfect world. I want to have a home game seven in my building. I want my guys right. I don't want to jeopardize their well-being. 
I'd rather have the game at home. Clearly for Brooklyn, they're getting Durant and Irving plenty of playing time now, which is good because guess what? The playoffs are right around the corner. These guys got to be ready to play because there ain't personal days, mental health days, vacation days come playoff time, unless you're Dennis Rodman. Then you might be able to get that. Aside from that, you got to be able to play. So it's very wise and it's very practical of Steve Nash and company saying, hey, guess what? Playoffs are coming. We got to make sure KD can play every other night. That's why they're playing in Dallas on Thursday. Do not sit those guys. I have not looked. I guess we'll hear tomorrow or Thursday what the plan and what the deal is going to be. I would not sit those guys. They got to play. And I know an injury can happen. Well, guess what? An injury can happen in practice. An injury could happen rolling out of bed, getting your coffee on Dean Street, okay? Got to play. You're going to win an NBA title. You got to find a way to churn through these games. And now it's go time. That's my message if I'm Steve Nash and company. It's go time. Case closed. We got to be ready to play postseason basketball. James Horton being hurt, different story. The other guys, it's go time. Last but not least, who's on the horn? Hey, Jeff Money here. My handicapper picks. It's going to be for Wednesday, May the 5th. I got two plays here. One in the NBA, one in Major League Baseball. NBA play money play. I'm going to take the New York Knicks plus the three over the Nuggets. The Knicks are 24 and 10 against the spread versus winning teams. And they're 21 and 11 against the spread on the road. So money play on the Knicks. My next game in Major League Baseball, I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Brewers minus the 135 on the road against the Phillies. Be Peralta versus Anderson. Peralta's 1 and 0 with a two ERA on the road. And both games happen to be against the Cubs. He never faced the Phillies. And Anderson, his last three starts, has a 6.39 ERA. So here we go again. Money play NBA, we're going to take the Knicks plus the three. And in Major League Baseball, we're going to take the Milwaukee Brewers minus the 135. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. That's my main man, Jeff Money. And Jeff Money hit on something there that's very, very important. The New York Knickerbockers, in addition to being a feel-good story, throughout this NBA season, the New York Knickerbockers have been cover machines and they've been cleaning out and cashing out left and right. And a lot of these games, they have been disrespected by the odds makers. I can't say the same in this Denver matchup. The line opened Denver being favored by five points. Sharp money, public money, all over the Knicks, down to three and a half. Two red-hot teams. That's a tough spread. The line movement indicates Knicks for me. I'm not going to fade the Knicks with how good they've been to me. That's a low number for the Nuggets on the road, though. I got to admit, that's a low number. I'd feel a lot better about that number at five, five and a half than I do at three and a half. And it just goes to show you, folks, you want to be on the right side of these numbers. When these particular lines come out, you want to pounce. You absolutely want to pounce. Milwaukee and Philly. Seeing that line right now, 136. Philly off a win. If I'm playing a game, I'm with you there, Jeff Money. I would take Milwaukee. I don't love it, though. They've been pretty darn good this year, too. And I'm going to give you a little friendly advice for Wednesday. The Mets are playing a doubleheader against the Cardinals. No DeGrom. If I get a loss in game one, my mentality always is with these doubleheaders, and it's changed a little bit because of COVID. 
seven innings, the rules, all that. Two evenly matched teams. Mets and Cardinals, in many ways, are two evenly matched teams. Team wins game one. They use a couple of their bullpen arms. I am all over the loser in game two. The great Anthony and Syosset points to the system. I point to the system. The system works. The system, to me, with these doubleheaders, that's an immediate circle tomorrow night. After the Mets and the Cardinals play game one, see who wins game one, and evaluate maybe the loser going into game two. Split double dip. That's how we roll. Fun show. Spirited show. We will be back Thursday. The voice of the NBA in many ways now. He has taken that torch, I believe, from the great Marv Albert and the voice of the New York Knicks, one of the best announcers in the business. The great Mike Breen will join us. We'll have all the recap. Yankees, Astros, Cardinals, Mets, Knicks on this crazy West Coast trip. And the NBA and the NHL playoffs are going to be here before you know it. How about that? Great job. Robbie, Saruti, well done. We're back Thursday. Loaded show. Enjoy it. JJ out. Be good, everybody. Yeah.